Dusty, what's the one book you can always find in our car when we're on a trip? Honestly, Mike, it is usually a Moon travel guide. That's right. Moon is our favorite travel guidebook publisher because not only are they a source for ethical travel and the best ways to get away, but their books also are packed full of information on everything from sites to see, trails to hike, restaurants, and lodging, all from real authors who are local to the areas they're writing about. That's right. And we're so excited that this year we are again partnering with Moon Travel Guides. Ready to cross something off your travel bucket list in 2024? Have a lot of great ideas for trips, but don't know how to get started or keep your itinerary organized? Wherever your wanderings might take you or inspire you to go, Moon Travel has you covered. Moon Travel is the travel guidebook publisher for ethical travel. Don't spend months trying to craft the perfect getaway when you can do it all with Moon. Whether you're headed abroad, planning to take to the open road, or want to wander the trails of a national park, make sure to pack a Moon Travel Guide with you. Through the end of 2024, our listeners can get 20% off any Moon Travel Guide when they use the code GAZE20 at checkout. That's amazing. And that is code GAZE24, G-A-Z-E-2-4 for 20% off any Moon travel guide in Moon's entire library. And that is just for our listeners, and you cannot find that anywhere else. Be sure to visit Moon.com. Head to our show notes and check it out and see Moon's entire collection of travel guide books. What is one memory of like a school like trip that was like to a historical place that like really sticks out to you from your childhood (sighs) (laughs) Beauvoir right Beauvoir yeah Blanche Beauvoir Beauvoir was the home of Jefferson Davis which is appropriate considering we are talking about the Civil War um yeah yeah I grew up in Biloxi and Gulfport, Mississippi, and on the beach in Biloxi is literally the place that is was essentially the White House of the Confederacy, mm-hmm. and it is where Jefferson Davis lived. Mm-hmm. Um, so many trips there to... Was that like a yearly thing? Wasn't every year, because mm-hmm. I mean, it's like right there. So it's like, I'll say this. My parents never were like, Let's go let's to Beauvoir. Go to Bo- let's yeah. go on a trip to Beauvoir. Like, that never happened. Yeah. But did my elementary choir sing some patriotic songs there? Yes, we did. Did we go there after studying the Civil War? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Things that don't did not age well. No. No. And so what was that experience like for you? Like, how was that presented, I guess, is the better question. Basically, I mean, no, no, no. There was, there was no sort of. Um, no, I'm more curious than I'm not like you know trying to make it out to be nefarious. No, no, not like, at all. No, yeah. I understand that. No, yeah. The um, no, we were taught. It's hard to say. Like, yeah, I was taught the correct history of the Civil War, but who really is? Sure. You know what I mean? Like, it's history, regardless of where yeah. you know history, as it's written, was written by you know the victor, right. But no, I was not taught anything like the South won. Or sure, that. sure, sure, sure. And it certainly was not called the War of Northern Aggression. Like right. nobody nobody said that to me as a kid. No one ever tried to convince me it was about anything other than slavery. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of presented to me in this way. Like the Confederacy was a very small period of time. Beauvoir was relevant for a very small period of time. Mm-hmm. And it's still here. 
so you could go there if you wanted to to see what all of the sure. you know what they're talking about and yeah. whatnot but i just remember going like well this house is kind of pretty but that was sort of it sure you know what i mean like yeah. I, you know and there were reenactors and they would do like reenactments of civil war battles mm-hmm. i didn't ever care to attend any of those yeah, that yeah, was yeah. not that's that not wasn't my your theater jam? that's not my theater cup no. of tea no not at all that was tampa academy of dramatic tricks <laughs> Right. Where you went to college. Right. Mm-hmm. Me and Jenna Maroney. <laughs> I wonder if that was the school that was on a boat. I'm sure it was. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. we're getting we in digress. a 30 rock rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was definitely something that I was like, I look back on it. I'm like, ooh, woof. Yeah. 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 What about you? Because of growing up where I did in New Jersey, there was a lot of access to spaces that were like sort of Revolutionary War um, sites. So I live right near Allaire State Park and like basically the battlefield for Mammoth, the Battle of Mammoth. So that was something that was just like in the area. So, and we've done that trip as like adults. We've gone to Allaire State Park. So we kind of got to see like, you know, They had reenactors even during COVID last summer. That was like something that we got to see. What would you call them? They weren't like, I guess they were reenactors, but would there be like a specific name? I think they were just, they They were were, just actors. They were, they were um, employees in character. There you go. Thank you. I do remember taking a trip when I was in third grade to Philadelphia and doing all of the sites of Philadelphia, specifically Independence Hall and the Liberty Bell. And I remember being very excited because my mom was a class mom. And so she was like on the trip. Did you guys have class mothers? Was that like a thing? Or like class parent, I guess, oh, is probably the well, more like yeah. PC thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like there was a mom that would help out with like events and stuff like that. Yes, yeah. we did. And um, was Gloria I, a class mom? She was not because okay. she was... Um, as she told me when I asked her that question, she said, "No, because I'm a working mom." <laughs> there you go. And um, you will not feel you will not feel any way about right. that other than grateful. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and she's right. She is right. And she's right. Yeah. No, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know that meme that you sent me earlier this week when it was like, "You, you know how I know you're gay?" Is that your mom was a class? No, mom. <laughs> no, no, that wasn't it. But. The one where it was like, um, you stayed inside with the teacher during oh, yeah. recess to sharpen <laughs> pencils and gossip. Right. I s- typically sat next to the class mom on the bus. There you go. <laughs> on the <laughs> trip. Because it was always like, have a bus buddy. And right. everybody, I hated that because it was just like recipe for so people your mom getting was left your out. Bus buddy. No, no, no. Oh. My mom was I mean, not my I'm bus sorry. buddy. No, <laughs> that, that was another trauma. kid's mom was that my was bus trauma buddy. That I just walked into. Jason's mom <laughs> was my bus buddy. Right. And yes, I had to talk to her about, you know, the things that, <laughs> the places where we intersected. Right. Like, oh, are you watching <laughs> The Nanny? <laughs> I love that show. <laughs> Looking for adventure, I want to follow on the trail Or get a little lost and let the wind fill my sails Get up when the stars still fill the sky, don't wake the sun There's so much to be done 
And the day has just begun Go where the postcards are real You can feel, you can open your eyes And open your heart when you gaze At the National Park At the National Park At the National Park Follow you, I'll follow you Watch the new Lifetime movie of the week this week. Yeah, I thought Ellen Barkin was really good in it. <laughs> it was called Before Women Had Wings. I thought she gave a really good performance. Jason's mom had not seen that movie. <laughs> so I just recapped it for her. <laughs> Hi, everybody, and welcome to Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast. The podcast that brings you one hiking trail in one national park, one park at a time. I'm Dusty. And I'm Mike. And in this series of episodes, we'll be chatting all about the National Military Park in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Over the summer, we had a chance to visit Gettysburg along with our trip that also took us to Catoctin Mountain in Maryland. This was one of the first trips that we took together in the time of COVID. We did a lot of exhaustive planning here, and it was really an opportunity for us to come up with a set of rules that we would augment and adhere to when it came to traveling during pandemic. Not that we did a ton of travel, but we wanted to make sure that we really looked at things from all angles. This was also our very first camping trip. So it was where we kind of dipped our toe into the very, very big pool of camping. And we haven't really looked back ever since. You can hear more about those camping experiences in our trail mixes titled Camping Tips and Tricks and Camping Gear, Love It or Leave It. But this episode, while it's all about our trip to Gettysburg, is actually a little different in format than usual. We still have our normal breaks in the episode for Games and Drag Corner, but we wanted to present this park and all that it offers in three parts because of the battle that was fought in this place over three days. While we will talk all about the experience here, we also want to talk about the importance of this space and the MPS sites that are managed in and around it and each day of combat on the field to give a better historical sense to what happened. What did you know prior to going to Gettysburg about the battle, about everything? Um, I knew that it was a historical site. Mm-hmm. I knew that there were fields. Mm-hmm. That's about it. Mm-hmm. I truly didn't, I was, I didn't even know what war it was a part of. And I know, like, I love American history, Mm -hmm. but I have researched more American Revolution. Right, because of the work that you do. Because of the work that I do. But Gettysburg never came up. Then I found out prior to us going that it was Civil War site. And I was like, oh, I have a lot to learn when I get there. Yeah. And for me, it had actually been prior to our trip. This was a, a space where I'd actually visited multiple times. The school that I teach at, the trip that the eighth graders take yearly, with the exception of the last two years, is to Gettysburg. I got to experience the park, the military park and battle site several times, but never sort of by myself. Um, always as a chaperone, I really hadn't had the opportunity before this trip to get to see a lot of what was offered there and a lot of what was there because 
we were kind of bound by a schedule. And when we were on this trip, we sort of just had, not that we didn't have any sort of schedule, but we were pretty free and easy and it was just the two of us. Let's start off by talking about why Gettysburg is important. While it may have been some time since we've sat in a classroom or watched something on the History Channel, the town of Gettysburg became a major campaign in the Civil War, lasting for three days. This battle, which fell squarely in the center of the years of the war in 1863, was a major turning point for the Union, the Northern Coalition of States, and the Confederacy, the Southern Coalition. Much of the importance of Gettysburg lay in the fact that it was squarely in Northern territory, that General Lee of the Army of Northern Virginia was hoping to move into this territory to threaten Northern cities and to give time for Southern suppliers to resupply the Army of the Confederacy. Moving North was a strategy to show military might in an effort to supply the troops with what they could claim in the North. Gettysburg happened to sit at the center of 10 roads and is often described as the axle at the center of a wagon wheel each of the roads a different spoke. This made the approach of armies easier, which allowed the area surrounding the town to become the setting for one of the most important battles fought on American soil. We'll talk a little bit more about the fighting on day one and how that developed a little later in this episode. Before we jump in and do that and also explore our experiences within the park, it's worth noting and understanding what a national military park is. The NPS manages and maintains 25 sites where, quote, historic battles were fought on American soil during armed conflicts that shaped the growth and development of the United States, in order that present and future generations may learn and gain inspiration from the ground where Americans made their ultimate sacrifice, end quote. These sites were further enriched and protected by the American Battlefield Protection Program, formerly the American Battlefield Protection Act, which was signed into law in 1996. The program seeks to preserve and maintain sites associated with battles fought on American soil, specifically relating to the French and Indian War, Revolutionary War, the War of 1812, and the Civil War. Of the 25 sites that MPS manages that are considered under the ABPP, 11 are national battlefields, 4 are national battlefield parks, 1 is a national battlefield site, and nine are national military parks. Other national military parks associated with the Civil War include Vicksburg National Military Park in Louisiana and Mississippi, and Fredericksburg and Spotsylvania County Battlefields Memorial National Military Park in Virginia. The history of these 25 sites is actually much older than the NPS. The first of these sites to be designated by Congress was the Chickamauga and Chattanooga National Military Park in Georgia and Tennessee in 1890. Prior to 1933, these sites existed under the auspices of the War Department. And while there are many other sites that saw important combat through these different American conflicts, some are not designated as battlefields or military parks at all, but have been redesignated as National Historic Sites. Even prior to the designation of the Chickamauga and Chattanooga National Military Park in Georgia and Tennessee, national cemeteries created a federal designation for land that, while may not have seen the battle itself, became the resting place for those who fought in these conflicts. In order to understand the distinction between the four different types of sites that deal with military history, national battlefields, national battlefield parks, national battlefield sites, and national military parks, one must look at the early history of these sites under the War Department. 
regarding national military parks and their distinction, a report from Congress in 1925 on the very subject states, quote, it is the view of the War Department that the national military parks should, as a general thing, cover a comparatively large area of ground, probably some thousands of acres, and so marked and improved as to make them into real parks available for detailed study by military authorities, the battle lines and operations being clearly indicated on the ground. The expense of maintaining such a park is so great as to indicate that the number should be kept fairly low, end quote. And that, quote, these military parks were designed by Congress not only to preserve for historical and professional study the battlefields themselves, but also to serve as lasting memorials to the great armies of the war, end quote. Regarding national battlefield sites, the view was that these sites would be less costly than national military parks, another holdover from the War Department. While many of these battlefield sites have been redesignated, only one remains as a national battlefield site, Bryce's Crossroads in Mississippi. When MPS took over management of these sites from the War Department, there was a desire to create their own vocabulary, and so the term National Battlefield Park was created, but swiftly abandoned by the 1940s. And in order to provide some sort of consolidation after the term National Battlefield Park was abandoned, a simpler version of National Battlefield was adopted by the NPS, some new sites being added or changed under the designation. I find all of these designations to be so interesting yes and so niche it is actually you know very hard to categorize history mm-hmm. in a bunch of things yeah. that sort of feel similar because it's like everything is so obviously very specific it does seem a little strange though that there isn't a more concrete sort of term that's or just a, a one term like a catch-all sort of right because it does seem like there's one national battlefield site and that's such like a holdover term like from early nps adoption right. of these sites so it's it is interesting that there isn't sort of more of a like a streamlined approach like you yeah, said yeah and it feels sort of like a competition right between like the names like the different designation names right right sort of like a national park has a little bit more prominence than maybe like a national park site does you know what i mean yeah i guess so like yeah I'm, yeah yeah i'm saying i'm but saying like, between like the yeah. war department and the oh got it got it got it and, got it you know and the the MPS. MPS, yeah yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there was a little bit of animosity over that takeover from what I researched. Something I could have delved, delved more deeply into, but but NPS did really have to like ramp up their education effort like for these sites. That was like a big concern because they were really only prior to taking over these sites working with natural spaces. And so they had, you know, scientists and botanists and biologists that were able to be there in that setting to be able to help them with any sort of parkland that they had or any, I guess, early historical site, but not from a military perspective. So they really needed to amp up from what I had read, their education, being able to educate the public and educate themselves on how to best preserve and present these sites to the people. Which is something they're constantly working on today. And we all are constantly working on today. And with that, let's take our first break. We're playing memoir titles. I love this game. If you were going to take all of the stories that you have about class field trips 
or like anytime you mm. were like on a tour of right. something as a child and you were going to put all of that all of those essays into one grouping what would you call that section oh, of the memoir i love that because i feel like i love it when you read like a david sedaris or like other like comedy writers that have done that and mm-hmm. sort of like create this like small collection of stories that focus around one thing so i think it would be called trivial pursuit because i feel like a lot of those outings while they were informative and i think this is the case for so many field trips there's supposed to be like an educational component in a lot of settings but a lot of the times it's like we have this educational component but there's like a fun component to it you know what i mean so it's like what sort of like firsthand education are you necessarily getting all the time from something like that? And I just feel like also, I feel like I went on a bunch of different well-rounded sort of field trips throughout like my time in, I guess, elementary and middle school. In eighth grade, I went to Washington, D.C. In seventh grade, I did like a trip to medieval times. (laughs) So I just feel like there are these like weird components of like, trivia like i did a philadelphia trip when i was a kid we went to like the met when i was in fifth grade so it was sort of like we saw like all sorts of of, like pie wedges it was just pie wedges (laughs) i was figuring out like it my pie wedge knowledge at that point it was a pursuit that was at collectively one might consider trivial (laughs) i like that trivial pursuit gather all my pie wedges I can't remember going to a sports thing. Although I did like skate with the devils when I was a kid. Um, that was like a, that wasn't a school thing. That was like a, a trip that my parents had like somehow gotten, we got into this thing. And so there's my sports wedge. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> with there the you New go. Jersey devils. Yep. What about oh, you? Oh, I like that. Mm-hmm. I think I would call it bus buddies and Benadryl <laughs> because... <laughs> I really can't escape the bus buddy anxiety and stress. It was Jason's mom. (laughs) That came with every single field trip. Like just was like, how do we create this recipe to just make people feel left out? And like, that's all it did. Like Mm -hmm. I couldn't stand it. Mm -hmm. Right. Every single field trip was, I had to deal with that. The Benadryl, that comes from, I remember being, it was the first grade. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, like I was so excited because we were going to NASA, Mm -hmm. which there is a Stennis Space Center in South Mississippi. It's where they test all the engines. I was very excited that we were going there. Um, And I remember I was staying at my dad's house and I woke up one day and I think I was like sneezing or something. And he was like, hmm what if you just like didn't go to school today? What if we just like did fun things? I was like, okay. Like I, I know when that had never been presented to mm-hmm. me before. And I was like, great. And then later I think I kept sneezing. And so my dad gave me some Benadryl. Mm-hmm. He gave me an adult <gasps> dosage of Benadryl <laughs> at five years old. And so my mom called in the afternoon and was like, Hey, so how was your trip to NASA? And I was like, what? What trip to NASA? Oh, I didn't go to school today. And my mom could have, she would, she almost jumped through the phone and just like strangled my dad. Oh, who like, no. My dad, I think, was just like, we're both so busy all the time. Maybe right. we could have a day. 
He's sneezing, so I gave him Benadryl. I was also clearly like high as a kite <laughs> from the Benadryl. <laughs> and so my mom just like reamed out my dad for giving me this adult dose of mm-hmm. the medication. I just gave him the same amount that I take. That is what he said. <gasps> and, um, <laughs> and then, and I missed NASA. And like this was before, you know, this was a time before everyone had cell phones. So like sure. when a kid wasn't at school, they just weren't at school. Yeah. And that was that. And yeah. I got back and they were like, oh my God, NASA was amazing. And I was like, I can't believe I missed. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Bus buddies and Benadryl. Beautiful. We would like to acknowledge that while hiking and touring Gettysburg National Military Park, we were on the traditional and stolen lands of the Iroquois. Unfortunately, we were not able to go into the visitor center when we were in Gettysburg because the visitor center was closed. And because it was still semi Yeah, it was pandemic. COVID yeah. and yeah, right, right. Yeah. I mean, it still is right now as we're yeah. recording this, but I'm sure that things are back open inside mm-hmm. t- to some degree. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, now is the time where one can go in there. So I didn't get to go in there and have, you know, that moment, right. but you've been in there many times. Tell us and what I know, it's like. I know you love that moment. And I was sad that you couldn't have that. I know it's okay. Um, so like I said earlier, this is a trip that we take. Um, it was their, the eighth grade trip. Prior to this trip, we would, were going to Williamsburg every year. But it was like a really long... That's a long drive. It's a long drive. It was like the antsy level on the bus after six hours was like no good with like, no. you know, no. preteens no. or teens really at that point. Also, let's talk about yeah. how like that is an overnight trip. Yeah, that you do with middle schoolers. Wilds. Which wild I'm like, times. How, do you, how do you not have like a, like a, you know, a school mom in every single room? <laughs> you know what I mean? Jason's mom. A class mom, like in every, like I, you know. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, they eventually switched it to Gettysburg. And the first year we went, we did Gettysburg first because like that's the historical component as I hinted at earlier. And then there's like the, we go to Hershey's Park. Or Hershey Park, not Hershey's Park. <laughs> Hershey's. <laughs> if it were a park where, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it is the candy. It is the, the candy. Yeah. It definitely left me wanting to go back and see more on my own. So I was really glad we were able to do the trip. But that being said, when we did get to the visitor center, a lot of the times what they would provide us with is a tour guide from Gettysburg that would come on the bus with the different buses and they would basically tour us around. And there were like, I don't know, eight buses of kids. So there's eight different tour guides. So they try to take you all to Eight diff- buses? Yes, I know. I, you've never told me. Oh, yeah. Eight, this is a big trip. Eight, eight I know. buses? It's, it's ridiculous. Oh, yeah. my It's like word. almost the whole grade goes. I know. But yeah. like, sorry, I went to a very small school, I guess. Like a yeah. whole grade fit on one bus. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Eight buses. <laughs> so they would take you to all so they would take you to all these different spots on the battlefield. So like every year I would sort of get they you'd have like an hour with them. I'd kind of pick up things from different tour guides kind of year after year. So that was really neat. And then they would drop you back at the visitor center. There's a few things at the visitor center. First there's there's a bunch of exhibits and Unfortunately, that's something I never really got to participate in because we were chaperoning in the visitor well, center. And I guess we'll have to go back and do yes, it sometime. No complaints there. So we were chaperoning in the visitor center because it's very big. Um, there's a giant gift store. That is something that the kids kind of flock to. So you kind of have to watch them there. And a lot of the times we were waiting to go into 
the movie, because there is a movie, it's like a History Channel documentary on the battle. It's about maybe 20 minutes long. It's narrated by Morgan Freeman that goes through the three days of the battle and the events that had led up to it. And then you leave that movie and you go upstairs to what's called the Cyclorama. The Cyclorama is a painting. It's a 365 degree painting. I'm sorry, it's a 360 degree painting. 365, (laughs) ain't no such thing. It was painted and it depicts the culmination of the battle on July the 3rd, 1863. And it was painted by uh, the French artist Paul Philippe Tau, a professional cyclorama painter and an artist. Um, cycloramas were the big thing in like the, the late 1800s. Like this was like a very real thing that people would pay money to go see. And they're basically just like, if you're standing at a certain point, you're looking 360 degrees around. And they they do some narration, they do some lighting And it's built where you're like on the stage that you can like, you're kind of at eye level with the entire painting, but then there's some set dressing down below. It looks like you're on top of a hill and the set dressing leads right into the painting. Um, Mm. So it's really, really neat. And it is incredible. It's really cool. Like we could just do a whole episode on the cyclorama and like the significance of it and how it was painted. And like from an art history perspective and the nerd in me, it's really, really neat to see. It's something to definitely go back and do. That's really kind of the visitor center. It's that big open sort of atrium space you walk into. There's a giant gift store. And then most people will go and see the movie and then do the cyclorama, which is well worth the cost of the ticket. Um, to do and then there's like a cafeteria and stuff but it's a beautiful beautiful visitor center and the outside looked great right it is really really nice to see so when you do go do go to the visitor center because it is worth it and do see the cyclorama because it's very cool so when we arrived in Gettysburg, we were staying at a koa not too far outside Mm -hmm. of the battlefield. Yeah. But one of the first things that we did when we got there was buy the app for the audio tour. Mm-hmm. So this is a tour you can do in your car mm-hmm. and you download the app and you connect it to like, you can connect it to your car audio if you want yep. or listen through a phone or something. But basically it tracks where you are. It's a GPS app. It's a GPS app that. Basically, you just open it and you drive, uh, like you start at one single point and then you drive around. And as you get to the different spots, it just auto plays everything that you need to hear. Right. And it'll tell you like you can pull over here. This is a stop. There's also marked on the road, like there's um, stars that will like a star sign that will like have a number on it that will notate the stop on the tour and it is also synced up in the map for the park right too the app worked fine i mean there were a couple of times it was a little glitchy Mm -hmm. like any app but Mm -hmm. uh because sometimes the numbers are a little close together like if they're like on the opposite sides of the road Mm -hmm. and we were trying to start at the beginning and go through from the beginning to hear everything and do everything in order right And really in the absence of like having a guide and the absence of being able to, you know, talk to many people because we were really trying to keep as much distance as possible. This was a great fix. And it was really nice because it does like say, you know, if you want to get out here and take a look around or take pictures, 
Like now's the time to do that. You know, it's a GPS app, so it's not going to go on without you sort of moving. So it's not like it's rushing you along by any means. That tour for us started at the visitor center parking lot, and it takes you basically up to your first stop on Reynolds Avenue at McPherson's Ridge. And the tour is organized really to sort of bring you through the important parts of the battle. Um, And it does so in a chronological order for the most part for each of the days of battle. Uh, The first three stops are all detailed, all all basically detail the action of July 1st. um, And that's the first day of battle. And that's mostly, most of that action happens to the north and west of Gettysburg proper. So that's where we kind of, you know, left the visitor center, which is sort of like in the the southeast and like sort of had to drive a little bit up towards that north or northwest kind of section of the area. The first stop gave us a nice clear sense of what we would expect when we were in the park and what we would see, particularly regarding monuments. When we were on Reynolds uh, Avenue, you kind of got to see all different sorts of shapes and size monuments. Um, some were medallions on plinths, Um, Some were statues and some were small field markers. Uh, There were also cannons that we saw and zigzag or what's also known as snake or worm fence, which would have been common throughout the entire military park at the time of the battle. Right. That was everywhere. I asked you about that. I was like, huh, what does this do? Oh, it like... It was like a deterrent. A deterrent. It Mm -hmm. slows down the army. Yeah. That's if they're advancing. Yes. Let's talk about monuments for a second. There are several types of monuments in Gettysburg. This is sort of like the categorization of what they are made of and what they depict. Sometimes they are bronze statues of soldiers and generals or equestrian statues of generals. They could be commemorative markers. Sometimes they're headquarters markers or state and regimental markers or union markers, Confederate and flank markers. And then at the first stop on McPherson's Ridge, uh, down on the ground, there are these square markers. And those are what they call the flank markers. They explain the edge of a particular brigade or a regiment. Right. That thought. Yeah. And they're all over. They're not just here on McPherson's Ridge. You're going to see them all over. They kind of look like little footstones or. But this is the first place we saw them. Yes. Yeah, totally. You know, and these monuments, if they're not a specific monument to a person or a state, are often shaped in a particular way to denote what type of monument it is and what army it's commemorating, either the Army of the Potomac, which is the Union Army, or the Army of Northern Virginia, which was the Confederate force. And then those armies are broken down into smaller regiments or brigades. Right, exactly. Um, One other fascinating thing to note is that there are around 400 cannons on the battlefield and that the majority of those are original to the battle. That being said, the only thing that's not original is the carriages. So that's basically what is holding the cannons up and that has the wheels on it. Um, And they were originally made for wood and obviously wouldn't still be around today. They wouldn't stand the test of time. So they were cast in iron so that they could be long lasting and be ever present on the battlefield. Those were made later. The um, the carriages for the carriages were made later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we also saw a lot of obelisks. And what do those look like, Mike? An obelisk is basically the shape of the Washington Monument. If you're unfamiliar with that term, um, you can think Phallic. of the Washington Monument. Phallic. <laughs> Phallic. Exactly. Great. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
after so McPherson's Ridge, that's the first place we were. And then the next place that directed us to go to was the Eternal Light and Peace Memorial. So this monument stands uh, near the area where uh, the fighting happened in the middle of July 1st, the very first day. And it is a giant obelisk with an eternal flame on top of it. <laughs> um, so keep in mind that much of the, the land that surrounded Gettysburg proper, where fighting happened, is not much different today than it was then. There's a lot of fields and farmland where battles were waged. So it's very weird to kind of drive along these roads and you're like in a cornfield. But hey, there's a giant statue or a giant obelisk right. there. So it is a little strange to kind of see that. I remember being there and I was like, okay, wow, this is a beautifully constructed thing. What is it? And what does it mean? Mm-hmm. And why is it here? Mm-hmm. And so I was reading... I mean, I always read everything at a museum, but I was reading everything. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely like a little bit of like... I think it depends on how deep you want to dive. Well, sure. Yeah. But there's definitely no end to the showmanship of presentation of remembrance. Oh, no. And we'll get to that in later episodes. At all. (laughs) At all. It's everywhere. Right. I mean, it's, I mean, it is a battlefield, but at the same time, it's hollowed ground in a lot of ways because so many people died here. So in some ways, it does feel very much so like a memorial park, like right, a graveyard. Right. Like oh, there is that, that sort of like, if you think about the way that especially people in the 1800s viewed death, if you've ever, like, if you ever get a chance and you want to see a cemetery that was literally built to kind of like be a, a space for people to enjoy the outdoors while also being around like monuments built to the dead laurel hill cemetery in philadelphia is fascinating that's like right. you know not in our journey here but something to kind of mention so it, it it makes a lot of sense to me just kind of thinking about how the late 1800s how like that sort of spiritualism and all those sort of things come together to kind of create these I think very, very massive monuments and very massive, beautifully constructed, conceived um, statuary for these right. things. Yeah. And here in Gettysburg, we did a lot of like, it started immediately on these first two stops. It was like, we drive a little bit. Like the first, McPherson's Ridge is like a chock full of monuments. Huge, yeah. long. Yeah. There's a road that goes down the center of it. Like, you get out and you look You look at the next placard. Mm. You get out and you look at the next placard. And like we were doing this constantly yeah. in order to like familiarize ourselves. I mean, I we thought about walking this right. driving tour, but it was like a total of 10 miles or something or like something, that. something, yeah. And so we were like, no, let's drive it. I'm glad this audio tour was available to us. Yeah. But I'm also glad we were able to get out and read because it yes. gave me a lot more understanding yes. of what I was looking yes. at. And if you want something in the middle, biking is very big in Gettysburg. And that's a way that you could do this tour. And we both didn't really have bikes at the time, but that would have been something. Or we did talk about taking our bikes. We talked about it and then we didn't. But we didn't. Yeah. So it was our first camping trip. And so we were kind of like, let's just deal with camping first. But that is something to consider. If you are going to Gettysburg, you can bike a lot of this. And it's it's relatively doable. And the roads are pretty good. The Eternal Light and Peace Monument, it's pretty big in scale when you think about it comparatively to everything else that's there. With the exception of the Pennsylvania Monument, which we'll get to. 
um, a little later. You know, after the Eternal Light and Peace Monument, you make your way down to basically there's an observation tower. It's kind of like a low fire tower, which there's a few of these that are in Gettysburg. And most of the times they're open, they weren't open during the pandemic. It allows you to climb up and basically get a sense for what the battle would have been like. Like you can really see across the fields. These are placed at like really, really good spots. Um, When I was on my first trip to Gettysburg, there was a very, very tall fire tower on West Confederate Avenue. And we climbed that and you can see like the entirety of the Gettysburg fields. And so you can really get a sense for how big the the space was where the fighting was happening, which you don't often get a chance to kind of see that aerial view unless you're flying a drone, I guess, these right. days. Yeah, which you can't do on right. federal, federal land. And so, yeah, it's really neat to kind of see what 100,000 soldiers would have been like in that area um, on, you know, those given days of battle. There are some other monuments that are here right by that fire tower. There was that one that had the dog in it. Yes. And that was one that was, I forget, a tour guide like, told me a the, little bit about like that. Like the bronze was coming off of him a little bit because so many people touched it. I think so. There was yeah. another monument that was like that later that we experienced too. Um, that was up on, I think it was Little Round Top or... I think so, or Cemetery Hill. It was somewhere over there. This is where you, again, like Dusty says, right here by this fire tower, there is no shortage of imagination or creativity with what these monuments look like because people were very clearly in the mindset to have memorials to exactly what happened that day. And with that, let's take our next break. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage Liberty and Justice. Liberty and Justice. Mm-hmm. Who is Liberty and Justice? This was an early drag name. This was like of your original list. Yeah, I was, to be honest, yeah. I went to the movies by myself to see Magic Mike 2. <laughs> uh, there was no one else in the movie theater. I was so bored by this movie. Everything you would like to see, they just put all of those scenes at the end. Of course. Unlike in the first movie. Anyway, I just started coming up with drag names that were American history inspired and Mm -hmm. Liberty and Justice came up. It's really hard for me to get away from Liberty Bell from Glow. I know. I'm so hard. Same same for me. (laughs) I feel like she could reference her perhaps. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't think that Liberty Ann Justice is like a pageant ball gown queen. Mm-hmm. I feel like she is a defense lawyer by day. Oh, like, that's what she like is. Like a power, power suit, suit with the mm-hmm. with, with like the shoulder pads. <laughs> oh, I like it. And, and she is also like, she's the next Supreme Court justice. Mm-hmm. Oh, so there's a lot of play that can happen there with that black robe. Oh, yeah. yeah. Lots of reveals. Mm-hmm. Lots of... Um, hidden <laughs> other outfits, right? Our first drag justice. Maybe she's like a judge by day. Mm-hmm. And then she like is an entertainer by night. Oh. Right? So mm-hmm. she like gives you story and narrative with her show. So she is, okay, great. So it maybe you start in like a Judge Judy type courtroom and then mm-hmm. she transforms into a piano bar lounge singer. Perhaps. Perhaps. Or just like a like a fierce diva mm. who's just, you know, got all the numbers. Mm. I like it. Okay. 
I feel like she's got to have some sort of like uh, merch. So what's her merch? I think her merch is like commemorative copies of the Declaration of Independence. Oh, no, (laughs) I don't think so. I think it's like maybe her merch is a donation to Lambda Legal. Oh, okay. I like that. And maybe it's it's more donation based than it is merch. Yeah, and maybe it's like the scales of justice, but there's this shot glass on each one. Oh, I like that. Yeah. That's the special at the bar. It's called The Scales of Justice. The Scales of Justice. I like it. I like that. I think she... So that's the bar special. um, I think she lip syncs to Holding Out for a Hero. Of course she does. Right. Do, 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 do. Right. Mm -hmm. This is a fun queen. Mm -hmm. I want to go see her do a show. Yeah. Yeah. When the world reopens. Yes. So, Thadies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage... Liberty and Justice. Let's talk a little bit more about the Battle of Gettysburg and how one of the most important battles of the Civil War ended up culminating in this small Pennsylvania community. Remember, at this point, we are squarely in the middle of the Civil War. That's right. And a lot of events led up to the start of the Civil War, including Lincoln's inauguration, the secession of Southern states, and the formation of the Confederacy. But the event that is most often cited as the start of the war is April 12th, 1861, the attack on Fort Sumner in Charleston, South Carolina. Two years after this attack, the Confederate Army of Northern Virginia is doing well and advancing, but not without their own difficulties, which came by way of supplying their massive army. General Lee had recently defeated Major General Hooker at Chancellorsville, Virginia. Hooker, in defeat, headed north, but was later relieved of his command by President Lincoln and was replaced with General Gordon Meade as the commander of the Army of the Potomac. Lee's troops pursue the Army of the Potomac north in order to bring the fight to their territory, as well as in an effort to replenish their troops with what the farm-rich soils of Pennsylvania had to provide. This offensive maneuver by Lee showed the might of the Army of Northern Virginia. And, as they inch further north, set the cities of Washington, D.C., Baltimore, and Philadelphia on edge. Meade's job, as he headed north, was to not only pursue Lee, but to use the Army of the Potomac as a shield for the northern cities, specifically Washington, D.C. As Lee's troops crossed into Pennsylvania, Lee was alerted that General Meade was close at hand, and he sent his troops towards Gettysburg. The Union troops were in position at the northern edge of town, near McPherson's Ridge. It's here, in the early morning hours of July the 1st, that the first shots of the conflict are fired. General Buford's mounted cavalry are the first to engage the advancing Confederate army. This division of the Army of Northern Virginia is led by Major General Henry Heth and contains roughly 1,300-500 men, compared to the 2,700 mounted cavalry of Union General Buford. Thankfully, around 10 in the morning, General Joshua Reynolds arrived to provide support for the Union cavalry, but not long after is struck in the head by an errant bullet and killed. General Abner Doubleday assumed his command. Confederate General Robert Rhodes opened his attack on the right flank of the Union Army in the north of town just as the Confederate guns began firing midday from Oak Hill. General Lee arrived at the battle around 2.30 in the afternoon and advanced the forces of General Heth and General Pender against the Union. 
This forced the Union back eventually into a retreat through the town of Gettysburg itself. This included divisions in the north at McPherson's Ridge and eventually to the west on Seminary Ridge. The Union retreated to the south of town to a fortified and high ground position of Cemetery Hill. By mid-afternoon, this became the Union's stronghold and remained that way into the evening. General Lee provided Confederate General Ewell with the option to attack the Union at Cemetery Hill, recognizing that they held the high ground, but declined to do so, which, if engaged, may have changed the outcome of the three days of fighting and potentially of the war itself. And now let's end this episode with some Jeopardy-style trivia. Dusty, would you like to go first? Sure, I can go first if you'd like. Okay. (laughs) This is called Gettysburg Audio Tour on Brand. (laughs) Great. I will be giving you a fictional audio tour through the town of Gettysburg. Great. You will be encountering a number of different businesses, Mm -hmm. which have all been inspired by the name Gettysburg. Great. And are all word morphs of the name Gettysburg. Great. You just have to identify the name of the business. Great. Are you ready for 100? Mm-hmm. And here we have come to stop number 17, the only bakery in Gettysburg. The founding baker was from Bordeaux, and this spot is known for its French loaves, which also inspired its name. What is Baguettesburg? Yes. <laughs> Baguettesburg. That's right. That's right. Are you ready for 200? Yep. What was the first album you remember buying? Stop number 22 is the only surviving music store in all of Gettysburg. It opened in 1989 and is known for its stock of this music delivery technology. It is now a museum. What is it? Tracksburg? Incorrect. We were looking for what is Cassettesburg. Cassettesburg. Okay. Whoops. <laughs> okay. For 300, and this is a double a answer. <laughs> what the hell was that? You said that? <laughs> I did. Great. This is a I double heard. answer. Great. Now we have come to one of my personal favorite spots in all of Gettysburg. Stop numbers 23 and 24. They are directly across the street from each other. When these two restaurants opened, they were competing salad bar restaurants. One got its name from the salad's base. And the other got its name from the dressing. So one is what is Lettuceburg. Mm-hmm. And then the other is Vinaigrettesburg. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you got it. Well, I missed Cassettesburg, so I was really panicky there. Okay, great. great. For 400. On this stop number 35, we have the only casino in Gettysburg. But note, dear friends, this casino has no slot machines. It has only table games. What is Bettisburg? That's a great guess, uh-huh. but we were looking for Roulettesburg. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. And finally, for 500, we have now come to the last stop on this Gettysburg audio tour. And we have a museum whose name comes from the fact that it preserves all of the puppets from the Lonely Gothard sequence in The Sound of Music. What is Marionettesburg? Yes, you did it. Yay. (laughs) Yay. Also, Marionette is a fantastic drag name, Mm -hmm. but I would want her, it would be like Marionette Puppet, Mm -hmm. but it should be pronounced like Marionette (laughs) Poupet. Right? Right. Marionette Poupet. 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 But that also sounds like Marionette Poop. 
Poop yeah, cut. that's great. It's a double, double. It's so many things. Great. My Jeopardy is called Also in 1863. So I'm going to be describing events that also happened in the year 1863 when the Battle of Gettysburg happened. You just need to give me something about that event. Great. Okay? Mike great. turned six in 1863. That's right. Because you are. Because I'm a witch. <laughs> 49 years old. I don't know. Mm, no, I think older than that. 80. Something. For 160. Something. Something. Yeah. Also in 1863 for 100. Ground was broken to start the first transcontinental railroad in this California capital city. What is Sacramento? Correct. Also in 1863 for 200. Five weeks in a balloon, perhaps an inspiration to this author's other novel about circumnavigating the globe is published. Who's the author? What it, who is Jules Verne? Correct. And it's Around the World in 80 Days? Correct. Um, for 300, Tom Thumb and Lavinia Warren, two of the world's most famous little people, were married, and this showman sold tickets to the event. Oh, who is P.T. Barnum? That's correct. Oh, he's problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, for 400, while they may be better known for canyons and potatoes, respectively, the Copper State in the Southwest and the Gem State in the Northern Plains became U.S. territories within about a week of each other. What is Arizona mm-hmm. and Iowa? Mm-mm. What is Arizona and Idaho? Oh, Idaho, Idaho potatoes. potatoes. Mm-hmm. Great plans. Mm-hmm. There we go. Great. For 500. Luncheon on the Grass, as it is known in English, was first exhibited by this French artist, whose surname is often confused with an artist who painted bridges and water lilies. Is one of them George Seurat? No, incorrect. Is it Monet? Is it Manet and Monet? It's Manet. Is Manet. Okay, for. there we go. There mm-hmm. we go. Manet. There you go. I got it. There you go. This has been Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast, and we're here to remind you to hike early and hike often, and that adventure is always out there. Gaze at the National Parks was created and is hosted by us, Dustin Ballard and Michael Ryan. To see images from this episode, follow our Instagram at Gaze at the National Parks. To contact us, email us at gazeatthenationalparks at gmail.com. And to find out more about the parks visited on the show, visit our website, gazeatthenationalparks.com. That's gaze, G-A-Z-E. All original artwork featured on Instagram and on our website is by me, Michael Ryan. All original music was written by Dave Seaman and performed by Dave Seaman, Mariella Klinger, and Sean Sklios. Our music producer is Skylar Fortgang. This episode was edited by me, Dustin Ballard. We would also like to acknowledge that while recording this episode, that we were on the traditional and stolen lands of the Lenape people, also known as Ocean County, New Jersey. 